Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin, and I hope that you are having a wonderful day today. I also thank you for listening to my words on this lovely, well, it's Tuesday that I'm recording. This will be up on Wednesday, and whenever, whenever you decide to listen to it, um, I just want to give a quick L, hand a couple L's out to my Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers, both of whom got swept by their respective opponents. Toronto just straight up manhandled Brooklyn. Like, it was just... There's no way to describe it. It was just horrific. It was abhorrent. It was disrespectful. It was disgusting. And above all else, it was expected because Toronto has a surplus of talent and the Brooklyn Nets do not. Karis LeVert... However, played like a fucking madman, and I'm very excited to see what happens with him, whether he stays with the Nets or is ultimately shipped off elsewhere to bring in a third star, somebody who can aid Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But that's another topic for another episode. Um, as disdainful and as I don't want to say I'm upset with the Toronto Raptors. You know, I am. I actually am a little upset. They beat the shit out of my team. Um, I want to congratulate them. I want to congratulate Nick Nurse, who is the NBA, who is the 2019-2020 NBA Coach of the Year, did a fantastic job in the wake of Kawhi Leonard's departure. Um, that team is, every time I watch them, they look more and more like contenders. And they, they're going to give the Milwaukee Bucks a hell of a series should they meet in the Eastern Conference Finals. God forbid either of them get bounced beforehand, which I really I really do not see that happening. Um, Siakam. Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell, Serge Ibaka, Powell and Ibaka were the ones who actually um, throttled the Nets the worst in Game Four. So that's um, it just it hurts me. It hurts. I really don't want to talk about it anymore. And um, moving on to the Sixers, they also got manhandled pretty badly by the Boston Celtics. Jason Tatum was just on another level, dude. I don't I don't know where it came from, but the leap from year two in the playoffs to year three is just otherworldly. I think he's averaging like 27 points on 45% shooting, just a remarkable young talent. And Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, losing Al Horford did not impact them at all. And Philadelphia signing Al Horford did not impact them at all. I'm going to do a write-up about this in a couple days, just talking about how Philadelphia fucked up so badly and how Joel Embiid is not to blame for them getting just dismantled by the Boston Celtics because Al Horford did not play well Tobias Harris did not play well pretty much everybody not named Joel Embiid no pretty yeah pretty much everybody not named Joel Embiid did not play well and of course Ben Simmons was absent and that was a huge damper on any of their prospects but they just they did not have it Boston was better Boston was flat out better. So shout out to the Boston Celtics. Um, as a result of this, Brett Brown was let go by the Philadelphia 76ers, and it appears that they are going to look very intently at their whole operation to see what they can do better because Elton Brand has not done... He, he's just been terrible since coming on as the GM. I mean, the way the team is constructed, and I've talked about this, ad nauseum the way the team is constructed does not fit 
the 76ers play style. And ultimately, that is going to push Ben Simmons and and or Joel Embiid away from the franchise. It's just it's a matter of time because you have these two guys who play very well alongside each other, but the surrounding pieces simply just they they don't fit. And for whatever reason, Philadelphia thought that this would work. Clearly it hasn't. And as I said, they're taking or they they appear to be undergoing all the steps to just rewrite this but the crux of today's episode isn't about the eastern conference playoffs it's really not even about the western conference playoffs as a whole specifically it is about Luka Doncic and how he is just letting his nuts hang all over the Los Angeles Clippers so at the time of this recording it is Tuesday and I'm just going to pull up the schedule real quick on the slate for tonight so When this episode comes out, both of these games will have already been played. We have the Jazz going up against the Nuggets. That's at 630 Eastern time. And then we have the Mavs Clippers closing us out at 9 o'clock. Mavs Clippers has been the best series of the postseason thus far. Just undeniably. It's just been shot making after shot making, playmaking after playmaking, except for Paul George, who has just been tragic the last couple days. Um, Kawhi Leonard and Luka Doncic are really, they're really making for some great basketball. And Luka in particular has just, I don't know if there are any ways to describe him. He is so indescribably dominant that it's shocking. It's shocking. And I talked about this a few months ago. The discussion was, is Luka Doncic the best 20 or 21-year-old? I can't remember what age he was at the time I recorded this. Is he, he's the best player of that age ever. I think he was 20 at the time. And it's clear that, yes, the answer is yes. There has never been anybody better at this age than Luka. So I'm just going to scroll down to his postseason stats because they are just phenomenal. In this first game, or in these first four games against the Los Angeles Clippers, Luka Doncic is averaging is averaging about a triple-double, 31.5 points, 10.5 rebounds, 9.8 assists. His shooting numbers, much better than what they were in the regular season. He's up to 50, about 52% overall and 38% from three. He's coming off a game where he dropped, what was it, 43 points. I'm checking it right now. He dropped 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists, and hit the game-winning three. He's 21 years old, and he is just wiping the floor with these grown men. And the Clippers have a fantastic team. Do not get it twisted. They are a, they're just, they are a wonderful group of guys. They have the right blend of youth and experience. Most of the experience coming from Kawhi Leonard. Lou Williams and Paul George, even though he has not been much of a game changer thus far. And the moral of the story is that they're a contender because they have the talent, they have the leadership, they have the experience. And Luka Doncic is just bucking that. And he's making the Clippers look very vulnerable. Now, I know Dallas is more than Luka, but we're just going to we're going to go back a couple days to what was it Sunday night? This this was Dallas's box score. They had the 43 from Luca, 25 from Trey Burke, and 21 from Tim Hardaway, who stepped up huge in the absence of Kristaps Porzingis, who was a late scratch that evening. But outside of that, 
there really wasn't much. I mean, Steph Curry had 15 as well, and Boban Marjanovic had 10, but it was it was Luka who won them this game. Both, like, like literally, by making the shot that put them ahead by two at the buzzer, and just everything else that he did. I, I don't know how many points he created, but it had to have been at least 60%. He's just... He was just different. Like, I'm watching him. And not just me. Pretty much everybody is watching him and just straight up is in awe of this kid. How at 21 years old, he is better than everybody else. He he was the best player on the court that night. And seeing this, you can make the case that he's the best player in the postseason right now. And I'm not sure many people are going to disagree with that. And of course, it's almost blasphemous to say because there's LeBron in the playoffs, there's Giannis in the playoffs, there's Kawhi in the playoffs, James Harden, all these dudes. And Luka is just, he's in that class and he's pushing to the top of it. And for someone at 21, this is his first stint in the NBA playoffs. So I know he's been a pro since he was, I think, like 14 or 15 and he dominated the elite European leagues, but to this level. And how he's doing it by being slightly overweight, unathletic, unassuming, is just remarkable. He knows how to create his shots, get to his spots at 21 years old. That's a skill that a lot of guys don't master until they're later in their careers, like 26, 27, 28. I mean, the elite of the elite get there a little early, but Luka is just on a different planet, or he's from a different planet, like... Never before has the NBA experienced something like this. I mean, the modern NBA, for sure. Like, you know, back in the 60s and 50s and the 70s, you had guys like Oscar, Wilt. But that was when the NBA was just entirely different. I mean, Oscar and Wilt were... I mean, Wilt was from a different planet. I'm not even sure he's real, to be honest. I think he's, like, something's fabricated because this dude was just ahead of his time from a different galaxy, like... If Wilt were to play today, he would probably average 35 and 20. Like, that's just how dominant he was. Same thing with Oscar Robertson. Like, those guys would have thrived uh, probably to a greater extent nowadays because everyone would have tried to play their style. Up and down, lots of scoring, all that kind of shit. But Luka is almost shaping up to be like the Wilt of this generation, whereas he's just putting up these numbers that don't make any sense. And they don't make sense because he doesn't look like someone who should be putting up these numbers. Like, this is, these are LeBron James level statistics right here. 53 points, not uh, 43, excuse me, 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists. LeBron James puts up those kind of numbers. LeBron James is six foot eight, 250 pounds, and is about as strong as an ox and as athletic as any NBA player has been ever. Luka Doncic is not that. He's 6'7", about 215. And he's very much cut from that James Harden type body. Like he's not over he's not going to overwhelm you with his vertical explosiveness or his lateral explosiveness, but he knows how to be crafty. And he's very good at changing speeds. He's very good at moving side to side on crossovers and countering those crossovers when people step in front of him. But really, what I want to get to is I saw a tweet last night from this gentleman 
whose name is Sam Quinn. At least, let me just find it and make sure I'm not fucking this up. Yep. So Sam Quinn is a writer for CBS, and he tweeted yesterday, quote, my one issue with the Luca love was that it felt like we all sort of forgot about Giannis. Like, we have a 25-year-old who will soon have two MVPs and a defensive player of the year under his belt. Maybe you're bringing in a couple of months. We probably shouldn't give the crown to Luca quite yet. And I quote-tweeted this. Oh, hold on. Why did I do that? I quote-tweeted this. And I said, oh, okay. All right, hold on. I got to scroll back down. Fucking bullshit. So I quote-tweeted this, and I said, I love Giannis. He's the MVP this year and is on pace to go down as one of the all-time greats. But Luka Doncic is as good as him and anybody else at 21 years old. That is the crux of the argument. It's not that we hate Giannis. Everyone knows that Giannis is arguably the best player in the NBA right now. It just so happens that Luka Doncic is up there with him. And I understand that Giannis is about to win an MVP, be his second. He's probably going to win the Defensive Player of the Year. Either going to be him or Anthony Davis or somebody. The point is that Luka is encroaching on his space. And he's doing so faster than Giannis did to get there. It's unprecedented, the level of growth that somebody has experienced in such a short time. And Luka has not won any major awards outside of the Rookie of the Year. Next year, he could, I'm going to say, I think he's going to be the MVP for the 2020-2021 season or whenever the next season takes hold. He's going to be the MVP of that season. I'm calling it right now. He's too good not to be. If anything, if not the victor, the, um, I can't talk right now. Holy shit. If not the winner of the award, he'll be a finalist for it. Especially if Dallas continues to be as good as they are as a team. And they're only going to get better. Like they were not a bad team this year. They were only a few games short of finishing as a top four team. They are an elite unit. There's Luka. There's KP. They have a great coach in Rick Carlisle, one of the more underrated guys in the in the coaching sphere. And Luka is the reason that they are in this position, right? Luka, statistically, if he were to continue this, he will go down as one of the all-time greats on statistics alone. If he wins at least three MVPs and at least three titles, actually, if he wins at least three titles and two MVPs, his argument to be the greatest ever will be solidified. Very much like how Steph Curry, in a couple of years, we're going to be talking about him as one of the five greatest players ever, right? It took about the same time for LeBron to enter that conversation, and LeBron's got three titles. Three titles and I think four MVPs, something like that. Luka is on that trajectory, and that's why he's getting all this love. I do not think it's too much. I think that Luka is appropriately appropriately praised. I think that all the compliments and all the admiration thrown his way is well-deserved, despite him being 20 years old, 21 years old, and having only two years of experience under his belt. I think that as time goes on, <laughs> it's it kind of sucks, but I think that as time goes on, and we're four, five, six years down the road, I think people are going to begin to turn 
on Luca as he becomes much more polarizing because that happens with almost everybody. Like, not every star is Damian Lillard who is universally loved, just the most beloved star in the league. Not everybody is like that. We see it, we see it with LeBron. We're going to see it with Giannis sooner or later where people are, are going to just begin to poke at what he can't do well, and they're going to try to amplify them, even though everything that he does well overshadows it. And we're not that far away from that point, especially if Luka continues at this rate. And I think it's safe to say that in the under 25 class, or in the group of players that are under 25, Luka is right at the top. It's him and Giannis. I think Giannis is still only um, 24. I have to double check. Hold on. Okay, Giannis will be 26 this year. So, in December. So, if we're talking under 25, Luke is the guy. If we're talking 25 and under, Giannis remains that guy for a couple more months. I mean, you really can't go wrong with picking either. And ultimately, it comes down to what you prefer in your franchise player because the um how can I say this the joy of debating Luca Giannis is that they are such remarkably different players everything about them is different quite literally everything their look their play style their body shapes their athleticism everything is different Giannis is more old school He's kind of like if um, Shaq were in LeBron James's body, if that makes any sense, because Giannis is much more fluid than Shaquille O'Neal ever was. He's also a bit better of a playmaker, but he is as intimidating on the glass and is a menacing defender. Um, that, that's really, he really is a modern-day Shaquille O'Neal. Luka, on the other hand, is kind of like if Larry Bird were around today. The only difference is that Luka is not that great of a shooter yet. And Larry Bird, of course, has that edge, but everything Luka does, he works on his time. Nobody can speed him up. Nobody can slow him down. And the poise and the game control that he has at 21 is that of the elite floor generals. And I think that Luka is slightly better suited to lead an offense just because he's shown that he knows how to. And it's something that he's been doing forever. I think Giannis is still a little bit... He still has a couple more years to go as a playmaker before he develops into somebody who can like consistently make plays at a high level, both reading the floor... And executing, Luca has the edge up there. And the beauty is that there is no wrong pick when it comes to Luca and Giannis. I think that I'm leaning more towards Luca just because watching him the last couple days, he's he's the perfect wing to build your team around in this era. Like, if you surround him with shooters, you're good. It's very much like when the Cavs and the Heat were trying to build a team around LeBron. Surround him with shooters, get him a secondary ball handler, and you'll be a title contender. Will Luka be someone, 
will Luka be someone who can consistently lead the Mavs or whoever to a title? That remains to be seen because although Luka statistically might project to be better than LeBron, there it's impossible to overstate how incredible it is that every year for the better part of a decade, LeBron's teams have either been in the finals or contended for the finals. That is just a remarkable streak. And maybe Luka gets there. I don't know. I'm going to pump the brakes on that a little bit. Maybe I've already gushed about him enough, but that's a, I want to hold off on that topic for a little bit. But I think that if you're forcing me to pick, I'm going with Luka. And that's no disrespect to Giannis. That's no disrespect to really anybody else, although there aren't really any other guys in their tier right now. You know, we're talking about Joel Embiid, um, Jason Tatum, Ben Simmons, Jokic. Luka and Giannis are clearly the two top dogs of this generation. They are the LeBron and Kobe for the 20, for like, I don't, I don't even know what this generation is, like 2015 on. It's going to take a lot to unseat those guys. And what I would love to see a few years down the road is these guys meeting in the finals because that collision would be nuclear. Just imagine these two dudes dominating their respective ends of the floor and just posting numbers that almost don't make any sense. That's what I would that's what I'm really looking forward to. And I'm trying to see if where I can I'm trying to see where I can take this thought. Of course we're not going to get it this year. I ha- I don't want to say we're not going to get it, but I highly doubt it. The Mavs if they get by the Clippers, they're then I don't even know who they're going to have to get by next. It would probably be would it be the Jazz? I'm trying to think, but at some point they're going to have to face the Lakers, the Jazz, somebody like that. And I think Luka would help make the series interesting, but I don't think the team would be able to overcome. Of course, if they upset the Clippers, anything is possible, but I have been kind of I've been kind of pessimistic with the Clippers and really because well, Paul George's struggles are oh God, this that guy is we'll we'll get to him in a second, but outside of Paul George struggling, I've just felt like their constant injuries and having people out of the rotation, it felt like that they were behind on the chemistry, on their team chemistry. And as we know, the deeper you get into the playoffs, the more that matters. The elite teams can skate by on talent in the first round. The Raptors did it. The Celtics did it. The Heat did it. The Bucks are about to do it. The Lakers also um, making me eat crow. When I said that there was a slight chance that Portland pulls off the upset, that was clearly um, a fucking stupid thing to say, and I never should have said it, but what are you going to do? The Clippers are apparently, well, not that much more talented than the Mavericks, and we're seeing that. Maybe things will unravel later on, and again, a huge part of that is just Paul George's, I don't even, I don't even know what to say about this man because he's just been ass straight cheeks this man you're 
if you go to the if you go to your local supermarket, you will find Paul George's jersey in the bread aisle because this man has just been straight buns for the last couple days. I don't know what it is. Let me just pull let's pull up his numbers. So in game one, he dropped 27 on 10 to 22 shooting. Very solid performance. And as you might expect, the Clippers beat Dallas by eight points because George went off, Kawhi went off. It's perfect. Since then, he is shooting 21.3% from the floor, 16 and 16% from three. On top of that, he's averaging 3.3 free throw attempts per game. That is just unacceptable. And it's exacerbated by him playing 38 minutes a game. He's taking more than 50% of his shots from three, which clearly is not working. And Paul George has not missed a free throw yet in this series. Granted, he's only taken 13, but still, get yourself to the line. Just see the ball go through the basket because these struggles are just so horrendous and almost downright embarrassing for him. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to make him feel bad about this because it's his life and I get that, but he's been just so bad. It, it's just being objective about the situation. Paul George has played like shit and I'm sure he knows this and I'm sure that Doc Rivers and everybody else are trying to just figure out a way to get him back into the game because 11.3 points from your second best player is it's not going to cut it and what's even stranger is that this is somebody who throughout his career has played well in the postseason like this is this is new this whole playoff p bullshit is new for him like that's what that's the mind-blowing part like Let's just, let's take it back a few years. Paul George is in Indiana. The world is not ending. This is like seven years ago, by the way. Like six, five, six, seven years ago. So he's in Indiana. And this guy, every night, is going head-to-head with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. He's 22, 23 years old, and he is putting the ball in the bucket. He is holding his own against two of the greatest players ever to live. Arguably the best duo the NBA has ever seen. And he's holding his own. They're in the Eastern Conference Finals. And the series are routinely going six and seven games. Then Paul George, a couple of years later, hits a new ceiling. And he's averaging anywhere from 27 to 28 points a game for the Pacers. Granted, they got dispatched rather quickly by LeBron. Who else? Then he goes to OKC. And then that's when the wheels start to fall off for whatever reason. But the crazy part is that Paul George's struggles were not as bad as they were this year, right? So this is just to provide a little bit of context. His two previous years in Oklahoma City, he averaged 26.5 points on 42% shooting. Is the shooting percentage ideal? No. But he was making an impact. He was getting to the line, averaged a little bit under eight free throws a game for the Thunder. He's attacking the glass, playing great defense, 
he was a respectable three-point shooter, about 34%, a little bit below the league average, but not nothing catastrophic. And the Thunder, they simply did not have the team to contend. That's just how it is. This year, I don't know what happened. It's like his attributes got stripped or anything. This is like when you're playing my career and you spawn in after getting drafted or whatever, and you're a level 65, and you can't even dribble past your opponent without the game doing that weird fucking animation where you like start stumbling and you're, you can't dribble the ball and then you get pickpocketed and fucking they throw a windmill down on you. That's what Paul George is like right now. And I don't know what the fix is, what the long-term fix is. Is it a confidence thing? Maybe. Um, I don't think it is because he's still getting shots up. Granted, it's not as many, but also there are more shots to go around between Kawhi, Lou Williams, Manchester Harrell, all those guys. He's still putting shots up. I think that the Clippers should try to have him facilitate the offense a little bit more, have him attack the basket, like get into the paint, get to the free throw line because he's just, he's a negative right now. And the Clippers, I don't think, can make it out of this series if Paul George is just this flagrant of a detriment to the team. It's it's too much for them to overcome. Like, let's let's pull up the team stats right now. So scroll down. Wait for the page to load because I got this fucking sweet potato for our router. Where are we at? Okay. Kawhi is at 33 points per game. Lou Williams is at 20.8. Paul George, including his Game 1 performance, is at 15.3. Marcus Morris is at 14. Ivica Zubak is at about 11. If Paul George plays at the level that we know he can play at, the Clippers would have won this thing in probably five or six games. Now, it's probably going to go seven, and they might get upset. That is how integral Paul George is to this team. Even if they make it out of this round, if Paul George is playing like this, it's going to be a very, very disappointing end to the season. Because the deeper they get into the playoffs, the more talented teams they're going to face. They're going to face Utah. They're going to face the Lakers. They're going to face somebody. Maybe they'll face the Houston Rockets. And... Collectively, those teams, I feel, are better than than the Dallas Mavericks. This is a bad omen for the Clippers. And it's their biggest issue, for sure. I mean, yeah, I don't even think there's anything else that is really detrimental to them. It's just Paul George. I mean, yeah, Kawhi Leonard isn't shooting that great from the outside, but he's still shooting 50% overall. I mean, Paul George's inconsistencies and his struggles, they're hurting the team more than anything else. And he also hasn't been that great defensively. Actually, you know what? Let's pull up his defensive stats. I want to see his matchup stats. Because he was guarding Luka the other night when he dropped 43. Let's let's go to NBA.com. Good old NBA.com. Matchups. Playoffs. 
player on defense. Okay. So I'm going to sort this by field goals attempted. Paul George has kept Tim Hardaway Jr. in check. And he's kept Kristaps Porzingis in check. Both of those guys are shooting less than 38% from the floor. Luka, 5 of 10. Not bad. Um, However, Luka, his five misses have all come from three. And as we know, Luka is not that great of a shooter to begin with. I think the 38% or whatever it is that he's posting right now is a little bit of a fluke. I think he's just hot and he's feeling himself. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, And really beyond that, Trey Burke, Seth Curry, Dorian Finney-Smith, they're all shooting, what is that, a combined 9 of 14, but he's not really seeing a lot of time. Paul George spends most of his minutes matching up against Seth Curry, Tim Hardaway, and Luka. As the series progresses, that's probably going to persist. He might spend a little bit less time on Luka, and that'll be um, that'll be Kawhi's thing. I think, because if I remember correctly, it was late in the fourth quarter, and Kawhi really brought the clamps out on Luka, and he harassed him as he was getting ready to take. I think it was the game. I think it would have been the game-winning shot in the fourth quarter, and just Luka could not break down Kawhi. He tried, but Kawhi, as we know best perimeter defender in the NBA. He, he, took, he took full advantage of that 21-year-old. If I'm Doc Rivers, I'm continuing to keep that plan. If Paul George proves otherwise, that's great, but that might not be the case. And then, again, just like do anything to have him get an easy look on offense because Dallas's defense sucks. They are not a good defensive team. Paul George should be having his way with this unit, and it's not working. I don't have an answer. I mean, I've kind of do. I kind of explained it, but they have to do something. Otherwise, they're in serious jeopardy. And with that, I'm going to close out this week's episode. Thank you all so very much for listening. As always, follow me on Twitter. Follow the podcast on Twitter. Follow the podcast on Instagram. Leave a like. Leave a rating. Subscribe if you're feeling generous. And all of that, of course, will be linked down in the description. And I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week.